This week on Geek Explained, it's time for another MCU review, featuring my spoiler-filled thoughts on Marvel's newest film, Shang-Chi. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is a spoiler-filled review on Shang-Chi. I am super excited to talk about this film. Um, it's Marvel's newest uh, theatrical release. We've been... I would say, given a lot of Phase 4 over this past year, we've gotten three Marvel shows, we've gotten Black Widow, which I guess, I, I still technically think it should have been in Phase 3, but, um, and now we have Shang-Chi, and it's not over, we've still got Eternals, we've still got Hawkeye, we've still got Spider-Man, 2021 is the year of returns for Marvel, and the one film that I was excited about more than anything else this year was Shang-Chi, and so I'm going to be talking about it, I'm going to be going full spoilers, I cannot wait to share my thoughts on the film with you, I have been waiting for this film for a very long time, and I can't Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, we also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I talk about all the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No TV news this week, so we're going to dive right into some comic book news. One piece of comic book news that I'm very curious about. Uh, Marvel has teased a digital-only Marvel Unlimited app-exclusive X-Men series uh, featuring Jonathan Hickman and Declan Shalvey. Now, those are two of my favorite creators, especially Declan Shalvey. I love his art. So I am very curious to see what is going on with this. We do know that at least from like the main narrative of the X books following Inferno, Jonathan Hickman is going to be heading out from the X corner, but he said that he's sticking around for Marvel. He's going to be still working within Marvel and he's teasing something huge for them. So there's no, um, no indication whether this digital series is what he's referring to. I don't think it is, because I figure you would want something with Jonathan Hickman being teased as like a, this huge thing to be both digital and able to be bought in comic book stores, but I'm very interested. We're supposed to get the reveal of it this Thursday, um, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Lots of stuff is dropping this Thursday, which brings us to the miscellaneous portion of our news. One piece of video game news, PlayStation. PlayStation is going to be doing a showcase also this Thursday, teasing new games, teasing expansions, teasing all kinds of stuff. Um, there are rumors going on right now. We might get our next look at God of War Ragnarok, whether Cory Barlog has heard of it or not. We also might be getting the first tease for Spider-Man 2. Uh, lots of stuff that could potentially show up at PlayStation Showcase, but we will just have to see, and we'll have to check back with the news segment next week to see exactly what's get, getting revealed. And finally, in film news, uh, two pieces of film news that I'm very excited about. First off, also getting this Thursday, we might be uh, getting a teaser trailer for The Matrix 4. Uh, this is the latest Matrix film that is going to be dropping in December. I want to say December 22nd, but don't quote me on that. Uh, a website was uh, revealed as of uh, as of this recording earlier this week um, called what is the matrix.com and when you click on it it's this all white uh, web page with two pills red pill and a blue pill I love this they are really leaning into what made the initial uh, 
marketing campaign for The Matrix so cool, making it feel like it is something that um, you're kind of just stumbling upon. But if you click on either the red uh, red pill or the blue pill, you'll get a different teaser for the teaser. Uh, one that is narrated by Keanu Reeves, the other that is narrated by, I believe, Jonathan Groff. Uh, the two teaser trailers show very different things and very different perspectives, which is really cool. And they both end with the tease that we are getting a full-on trailer this Thursday. So I believe this is the same trailer that we got for CinemaCon, but actually pushed out to the wider public and not just the attendees at CinemaCon. So I'm looking forward to this. I was a huge fan of the Matrix films when they were coming out. And uh, quick t- quick uh, little plug as well for a YouTube channel. Uh, Mr. Sunday Movies has been doing this series part- as part of their uh, Caravan of Garbage segments where they've been revisiting the movies and kind of revisiting them was fun. So I might be going back to check these out again. Again, I dig the Matrix films. I really like what they did for this. I'm interested to see how they justify the uh, the story continuing. I know we got like Matrix Online, which continued the story following the movies, but I don't remember what happened in those games, so <laughs> I am uh, I'm interested in this. And then finally, in uh, film news, Shang Chi, Shang Chi. Oh my God, was it great! And not only was it a great film, it is breaking box office records all over the place, bringing in the biggest haul for a Labor Day weekend release. Also, I believe the second biggest uh, pandemic era release when it comes to theaters. Shang-Chi is killing it. Right now, the projected 65 million uh, box office haul has been absolutely smashed. The uh, film, at least domestically, is bringing in a I believe it was like 90 or 93 million dollars just domestically. And then another, I think Box Office Mojo had it at like 56, uh, 56 million. So right around like 140 million dollars over the Labor Day weekend. I'm, I'm ecstatic about this. This is awesome. This is great news. Uh, this is also... Uh, had a really positive effect. Apparently, Eternals is not going to be pushed back. Uh, Venom 2 might be coming back into the October release date. No official confirmation on that just yet as I'm recording this, but this is good news. This is good news for everybody. Good news for superhero films, good news for Asian-led films, and uh, I'm very excited about this. I knew that it was going to do well. The film is too good not to, and I'm very excited to uh, continue this train. Shang-Chi was a great debut for that character and for uh, that corner of the Marvel Universe and it is only going to get better from here, which is going to wrap up this week's new segment and transition us right on over into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is my spoiler-filled review on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I'm just going to get this out of the way before I forget about it as we get into this review. Big spoilers here. I'm going to be talking about the film, we're going to be talking about the characters, some twists, the turns, the narrative. Um, I know sometimes when I go into reviews about stuff, I forget to give a spoiler warning, which I have been told is... A bad thing. So <laughs> before I get too far into it, if you haven't seen the film, feel free to pause this, go see the film. If it's safe enough for you to do so, come back. Or if you don't care about spoilers, feel free to continue listening on. I love uh, getting to just chat about this kind of stuff. So this is your spoiler-filled review for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, you guys seem to really like my spoiler-filled reviews. Um, 
the last time I did it. I believe, uh, what was the last one I did? It was, it was a couple of weeks ago, right? I think it was, let me pull this up here. Um, it was a full-on, I remember, it was a full-on spoiler-filled review for... I, I can never keep my stuff together anymore, so I just refer back to my uh, my handy-dandy catalog here. Oh, it's a Suicide Squad. Okay, so you guys, I did get a lot of like good feedback on the Suicide Squad review. Um, it's a review style that I don't really do with the normal podcast with the podcast normally depending on the uh, topic I'll write out notes I'll write out um, you know bullet points on things I want to cover uh, last time when I did a spoiler review with the suicide squad I just kind of went off the top of my head and just talked about the things that I really like so I'm gonna do that again uh, so this is my thoughts on the film and I gotta say, I absolutely loved Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I had such a great time with this film, you guys and gals. I, oh man, it is, uh, it is no big secret, and I think I've made it pretty clear, uh, if you've listened to any episodes of this podcast, that I am an Asian American guy living here in Los Angeles, and the amount of superheroes, especially like mainstream superheroes like Marvel, like DC, that we see in wider mainstream media that are Asian American, uh, I can probably count on one hand, maybe two. And getting a film that was not only featuring an Asian American lead, but also having the cast, having the production crew, having the uh, music, having the soundtrack filled to the brim with Asian talent just made my heart sing. And I knew from the moment that this film started that I was going to love it with every bit of my soul. Um, I absolutely loved this film. This is an easy top five of the MCU for me, which I know is surprising because there's a lot of films going on in that franchise. But even though there are a lot of things about it that do feel very Marvel um, in the way that it's shot and the color palette and certain things that they do with the narrative and with the characters, this still felt like a new jam. This felt like a twist on the normal Marvel, um, on the normal Marvel uh, formula, on the normal Marvel recipe, and I think that has a lot to do with bringing in Asian culture. Specifically here, this is East Asian culture, a lot of Chinese culture, uh, which again, you know, we don't see a whole lot especially in superhero media. So I was on board with this right away. So a couple things that I want to talk about, uh, just off the top of my head, um, the cast. The cast is phenomenal. Simu Liu, who has been uh, just on the come up for a really long time, great comedic actor, uh, very physical stunt actor as well, absolutely knocked it out of the park with Shang-Chi, or Sean, as he starts the film as... Um, he was fantastic. You know, it, he wasn't over the top, but he wasn't, he didn't fall into what I thought, didn't fall into any like Asian stereotypes. And that's a big thing with the film in general is that there are, yes, there are things that you would see in a lot of Asian cinema, but not in a way that felt exploitative. It felt representational. So he was just a guy. He was, he is legitimately one of the most relatable, uh, MCU heroes that we've ever gotten and it was an easy uh, easy watch with him just kind of like going through the events of this film and reacting to them in the way that I think any of us would. Uh, Shang-Chi is a very complex character and he's never been you know a character that I religiously followed in the comics but whenever he popped up in stuff like uh, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers or whenever he popped up you know doing the Agents of Atlas stuff I loved seeing him and I loved reading stories about him because I'm just fascinated. I mean, I grew up on Kung Fu movies. Like, what do you want from me? So I, I love seeing him whenever he pops up. And they did a phenomenal job in not only bringing him into the MCU, but also breathing new life into his character as well. You know, he has a fantastic backstory in the comics where he's the, he, you know, he's the son of... <sighs> 
of Fu Manchu, um, which I'm going to get to in a second, and him being, you know, the deadly hands of Kung Fu, the master of the deadly hand, um, he's awesome, and he's always been this character that I've been fascinated by, uh, while, you know, him not getting the kind of spotlight that he deserves until recently, and he has been just incredible to watch, kind of, you know, Simu Liu has had this, like, rocket strapped to his back, and is now, you know, one of the faces of the MCU going forward, and his fight scenes were incredible, I loved the choreography, very Jackie Chan style, you know, with the jacket tricks, specifically, you know, his fight with, um, with the Ten Rings thugs on the bus, and then his fight with his father Wenwu uh, at the end were standouts for me, but all of his choreography, even, you know, the fight on the scaffolding was awesome to watch. Uh, it really does help to have an actor who knows how to do the stunts and, know, and you know, knows how to do the work, <coughs> Iron Fist, and I really enjoyed getting to see him put in the work and to see him just absolutely throw down hand-to-hand combat is not something that the mcu specializes in so when it does happen like in the winter soldier um in sporadic places throughout the mcu it always is a delight to me and having him be just kind of this relatable guy who is just doing his thing while also having this dark past as this child assassin trained by his father to be able to kill anyone and everyone at any given time I thought was really cool and it gives us a lot of directions to go with his character and now that he you know has the ten rings and now that he has you know that little bit of super powered edge to him alongside of his incredible skills we're going to see him matching up with a lot of the big heavy hitters in the MCU and standing as ground, which is awesome. But for me, as good as he was, as good as Simu Liu was, as good as Shang-Chi was, this was the Wenwu and Shaoling show for me. Uh, his sister and his father were show stealers throughout the entire film. Um, I want to talk about Shaoling real quick because she is dynamite. Um, I want to make sure I get, and I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I really, I'm trying, but, um, let me see. Uh, it's Menger Zhang. Uh, I hope that's right. Um, she was incredible. She was, uh, as uh, Shaoling is kind of an original character, being uh, Shang-Chi's sister, but she's also like kind of an amalgamation of multiple characters who have been Shang-Chi's sister throughout the comics. Um there's uh, Zheng Baoyu, there's Sister Hammer, and Sister Dagger from the uh, more recent Shang-Chi runs, and they're all kind of in a mixing pot, which gives us uh, Shaoling, and she is amazing. She has so much pathos, she's really dynamic, she has so much charisma when she comes into her room, like, you immediately, she draws focus, uh, and I am so excited to see what she does. When we got that uh, that post credit scene with her, which I almost preferred to the more Marvel centric uh, post credit scene, her sitting down and now being the head of the Ten Rings organization, maybe she turns it into the Five Weapon Society. Who knows? The sky's the limit for her as a character, and sp- I think it's very telling that the uh that the post you know following the post credit scene it says the 10 rings will return and not just shang chi will return um i think that's setting up a lot of stuff for her to do going forward which was my worry you know when you um when you set up a character and you you know set up a wider universe for them and then immediately throw them into the even wider universe of the MCU, there is a potential for the rest of um, their supporting cast to get kind of lost in the shuffle. And what I really liked was them setting up that Shaoling is going to be a big-time player going forward. She might pop up in other properties and, you know, there might not be a connection that her and Shang-Chi are related. And so anytime that there is... A future conflict on the horizon. It makes me really excited to see that character again. Also, her fight scenes were fantastic. I loved her use of the like 
rope dart dagger along with her use of uh, Tai Chi, MMA. Uh, she was awesome. And I am really excited to get more of her character. And then also, the incomparable Tony Lung as Wenwu, a.k.a. the real Mandarin. Um, what can we say that hasn't already been said about Tony Leung? Um, he is one of the greatest and most prolific Asian actors in our lifetime. Um, and this was not just his big, you know, his big dive into American Hollywood, but also his big debut as a villain. He's never really portrayed an out-and-out villain before, and so getting to see him take all of the years of performance, all his years of honing his craft as a hero, and then putting that into a villain, I think it's incredible. And it gives Wenwu so much... um, Again, I, I already said it, but so much pathos and so much uh, investment that you have in his character because of how tragic his story is. He's almost the star of the show. He's just as much a main focus of the narrative as Shang-Chi is. And the story of him being this, you know, 4,000-year-old, you know, warlord, essentially, who gives it all up to live with this woman that he meets that immediately takes his heart that opening scene between him and lee is incredible it's beautiful it's dynamic the colors are popping and you really buy that they are falling in love and so they you know they fall in love they have two kids together they're having a normal life and then his past comes back to haunt him you know the iron gang shows up who i i love and I'm, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but having that tie in with the fact that, you know, the Ten Rings was his organization and eventually caused the, um, caused the creation of Iron Man and this rogue gang who has no affiliation, but it's called the Iron Gang, then having an, uh, an effect on the Mandarin is just, it's, it's, it it's it's it rhymes and i just uh, I, I love that i love the idea of that um they show up they kill lee uh after she takes out most of them and so he is forcibly dragged back into this life forced to take the rings up again and the scene where he throws down and like slaughters the iron gang is incredible the cinematography of that it being almost exclusively a one-shot. Him coming in with that sick, like, short sleeve double-breasted blazer, has the rings, holding the hand of Shang-Chi so that he can identify the men who came to their, um, to their villa. Oh, man. He is fantastic. And I love that they didn't make him an out-and-out villain, and that it was really a tale of loss, and a tale of grief, and a tale of what you do after the thing that... Uh, gave you purpose is taken from you. I absolutely loved it. I loved that his character is incredibly tragic. He was manipulated by the uh, the what is it called? The one who dwells in darkness or something like that, um, or the dweller in darkness uh, is manipulated through Lee's voice to set it free, and that that ends up taking his life and taking his soul before after he bequeaths the rings to Shang-Chi, um, just, oh, it's tragic and it's beautiful. And I really, really dug it. And outside of that as well, outside of our three main players, I really dug the supporting cast. Katie, played by Aquafina. I know Aquafina is kind of a hit or miss for a lot of people, myself included, but I liked what she brought to this film. She wasn't as over the top as Aquafina can be in a lot of roles. And she also, she also had heart. She, her, her friendship with uh, with Simu Liu as Katie and Shang Chi was fantastic, and I love the fact that they weren't romantically involved. Like, yes, there is potential for that later on down the line, but as it stands in this film, having a male and female lead essentially not be romantically involved was awesome. Just seeing best friends be best friends, I loved the two call the two. Um, parallel scenes were like yeah we should probably rest 
or and then it just cuts to the karaoke bar i thought that was incredibly funny both times that it happened uh we also got you know razor fist i thought you know fulfilled his role for what he was and i liked the little turn that they make as soon as they find out that the demons uh can suck out people's souls i thought that was cool um i liked whatever the guy was the masked guy who gets his soul sucked out of him um as the trainer of shang chi this like brutal like silent like almost terminator-esque type character i've really dug him and i actually really enjoyed ben kingsley as trevor slattery returning following uh iron man 3 and then the return of the king uh short which they were very smart to drop on disney plus the week of the release of the film um all in all, just a fantastic use of that character. Yes, I know that he was basically in there to bring in the Marvel humor, and yes, at certain points it could be seen that he detracted from the drama, um, but it's Ben Kingsley, man. Ben Kingsley's a powerhouse. Ben Kingsley's dynamite, and he is so good at what he does that he can make this role that could be very incredibly one-dimensional and actually give him life and actually give him, you know, this sense of fun. So I dug that. I liked the uh, the use of, uh, I believe it's uh, Talo, is the mystical village that. Uh, that Shang-Chi's mother comes, Shang-Chi and Shelling's mother comes from. I liked how beautiful it all was. Um, just some of the vis- visual and stylistic choices, um, bringing them in and making, again, it, it, it all fell in, you know, it all, um, helped this film feel different from other MCU films. We also got, you know, wider teases to the greater um, Marvel Universe. We had Wong fight Abomination. The two of them have some kind of, like, weird friendship going on. Abomination looking very much more like the comic version, which I loved. And then we did have Wong come in at the very end as well. And then we also got the tease for the mid-credits scene that the um, the Ten Rings are uh, emitting some kind of frequency. It's made of something that they don't know, you know, what it is. And it, again, feeds into the idea. Um, it might be the most comic-accurate uh, depiction of the Ten Rings. And I think the Ten Rings, you know, there was a lot of uh, confusion due to the fact that the rings in the comics are actual, like, rings that you wear on your fingers, while the rings in the movie are obviously closer to bracelets, are actually, um, they're utilized in... I don't remember... The only thing that I honestly can use as reference is Kung Fu Hustle, because there's a... <laughs> I love Kung Fu Hustle. Um, there's a character in Kung Fu Hustle who uses um, essentially the rings off of because he's a tailor. Uses the I'm I'm just gonna go off on a tangent here. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle is one of the best movies of all time. Um, who use who's he's this character I can't remember his name but he's a tailor and during the raid on their village, he yanks the. Uh, I think it's these curtains off of this rod and uses the rings, you know, the, it's very dynamic. The, uh, little rod like slides down two different rods and they have these rings on them that he like puts his arms out and they, uh, come onto his, uh, come onto his forearms. They're not like mystical or magical or anything, but they're utilized. It's a specific kind of, uh, martial arts style that he you know, uses to either accentuate the punches, uses for guards and stuff like that. It's very, very cool. And so that is essentially what they were going for with these rings, which I dug. I really, really liked that. And I thought it was super cool getting to see the usage of them in that way. And having the, um, I don't know, I, I really liked the idea that they were used. And for people who are, you know, dismayed at the fact they're like no they're not like the magic rings of the mandarin in the in the comics it's like dude come on if you look at the man the mandarin's rings right um they are 10 rings that he wears on his fingers that essentially allow him to do whatever he wants or whatever the story needs him to do and that's exactly what the rings do in the movie like there's no like upper limit on what the uh 
on what the rings do as far as we know, but we do know that they are very visually exciting, very dynamic, very fun to watch. Uh, the color coding I thought was fun as well. Um, the fact that and they even reference it that uh, Shang-Chi wins the day and defeats the uh, Dweller in Darkness with a giant Kamehameha. It just, ah, it made my little Dragon Ball weave heart sing. I really, 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 really loved it. I thought it was great. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought the film was super just... Ah, just it made me feel good and it was uh, my first foray back into theaters which was a whole nother deal in entirely um getting to see this film in theaters was kind of a trip i went with my partner we went to this kind of local theater um that took the time to you know socially distance seats and so we felt really safe for you know how weird it is being in a theater like that um and yeah it was weird yeah we wore a mask the whole time but it was just you know it was as safe as i think it could have been a viewing experience um and if you are able to you know find a theater that you feel safe in um if you you know if your theater offers to you know gives you the opportunity to like buy out the theater for friends and family like feel free to do that i think the film is worth checking out i honestly do and i want this film to succeed uh and the, and for those of you who aren't in a uh in a city or in an area that is you know able to uh allow for safe viewings or if you personally don't feel safe enough going out to see this film totally okay uh the film is going to be in theaters only for the next 45 days which is less now um less now by the time that this uh this episode drops um and so once the 45 days are up it's going to be pushed to streaming so there is plenty of time but uh i just i love this film i really really did i loved seeing characters here who looked like me who looked like so many other asian kids who have waited to see characters who look like them on screen. And for me, as somebody who is biracial, as somebody who comes, you know, whose parents come from two very different backgrounds, having a character who also represented that, having a character who was, you know, the bridge between two different worlds, two different cultures, and had to struggle with his identity because of that, you know, him, essentially three, technically, if you want to take into account, you know, the Talo aspect, if you want to take into account uh, Wenwu's background of the Ten Rings, and then if you want to take into account his normal life that he's been living with for the last ten years, that really hit me personally. That really, you know, I have grown up as, you know, uh, an Asian-American kid who, you know, felt too Asian to be with, you know, to fit in with white kids and too white to fit in with Asian kids. And so it was this thing that I really, that, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting emotional talking about it, but it really resonated with me. And this is one of my uh, favorite depictions of a hero who has to struggle through adversity, who has to struggle through his upbringing. Um, I love the story about him essentially having to uh, deal with, you know, as soon as his mom dies, he's seven years old, his mom dies, his dad, you know, rejoins and retakes over the Ten Rings, gives him this torturous training, you know, forges his body and his mind through steel for the next seven years or seven or eight years and then when he's 15 he's sent out to kill the head of the iron gang he does it and it shakes him so much that he abandons his father in the ten rings and goes and starts a new life as a 15 year old kid and then spends 10 years you know living this false life i just i thought it was i thought it was incredibly compelling and i love the idea that we're going to get more with him and that he is this character who has not just been sharpened through all of his skills but isn't defined by his by his past and his choices and he's able to go forward and make his own way i just i really Ah, I, I really, really liked that um on top of all that you know we got this um 
complete revitalization of his backstory. In the comics, uh, Shang-Chi is this character who has a very strange uh, real-world uh, backstory. You know, His whole creation was because Marvel wanted to get the rights to the Kung Fu series, but they couldn't, so they created their own Kung Fu master, Shang-Chi, and his father was this character named Fu Manchu, who is incredibly racist and had a lot of really problematic, um, uh, really a lot of problematic origins and the way that he's presented. And eventually, you know, that's been changed in the comics as well. And in the film, I thought it was really well utilized that they just threw that out the window and they're like, no, instead of this, you know, racial stereotype as his father, who is evil for evil's sake, we're going to give him a father who is the Mandarin, probably you know, uh, off just off the top of my head, one of the most well-known Asian, you know, villains in comics, while also making him this incredibly relatable and incredibly tragic character, I thought was masterfully done, and they could not have done it better or chosen a better actor in Tony in uh, Tony Leung to really embody that whole character. So, all in all, I mean, as as I'm kind of like wrapping up here, I'm thinking, trying to think of anything else. Um, about the film that I want to specifically touch on. Uh, like I said, the action is great. The comedy is great. The heart of the film really stands out to me. And, you know, I, I talked about it already, but having a character that, you know, I'm, I'm not Chinese. Uh, my Asian half of my background is Filipino, a little bit of Japanese. And so, you know, I don't have the exact same background as Shang-Chi, but I got to see a character who felt like I was seeing myself on screen, and that is, it means more than I can express, or more than I'm able to articulate, and I thought that for that reason alone, it is definitely in my top five top five mcu of all time i did a list you know right after the right after endgame came out of how i would rank the uh films in the marvel cinematic universe and i may have to do that again at some point but for me you know without even looking at the other films this is easily a top five if not a top three for me and i would easily give it a nine and a half out of ten um if I had to give it an arbitrary Geek Explained rating, which I do on here, uh, 9.5 out of 10. Um, the 0.5 it is only because I kind of, you know, I, I liked the impl- you know the um, implementation of Talo, of the soul-sucking, you know, demons, of the uh, Dweller in Darkness and the Great Protector, but I, you know, I would be lying if I didn't, if I didn't say that I almost would have preferred it just to be a one-on-one showdown between Shang-Chi and Wen Wu, having it be this personal struggle over how each of them dealt with the loss of Lee. And so I I do think that it kind of did fall into that Marvel trap of it just being this giant CGI fight in the third act. But that being said, that being said, I still think that they made it feel as unique as they could with those parameters. And the choreography, the fight choreography throughout the film, even in the very CGI-heavy last act, was still phenomenal. I really loved it. I loved the characters. I loved the backstory. I loved the lore. I loved the look of the film, the sound of the film. The soundtrack is fantastic. Um, I also... I'm diving a little bit into the score as well. The score is incredible. So all in all, I, you know, I absolutely adored this film. Nine and a half out of 10 easily for me. Um, the use also, also, I completely almost forgot about this. Uh, they backdoored some stuff. The fact that Talo is part of a separate dimension and they mentioned mystical cities, other mystical cities like the mystical heavenly cities. We might be getting a brand new Iron Fist, baby. Um, there are a lot of uh, a lot of ways that this could go and a lot of directions that this film could go. And it makes me really excited to see Shang-Chi, to see Katie, to see Shaoling again. And I'm just, man, I'm just over the moon about this. We have an Asian superhero that kids can now look like, that kids can now dress up as for Halloween. Um, and that, oh, man, um, I'm not going to, 
I get emotional on this podcast sometimes and I'm trying not to here because I don't want it to take away from, you know, me just kind of giving my, you know, my personal opinion, but I, uh, I loved it. I really, really loved it. And again, if you are able to safely see this film in theaters, please check it out. It's amazing. And if not, after 45 days, once it's pushed to streaming, check it out. The film is a powerhouse of a of an action kung fu story with a ton of action, a ton of humor, and most importantly, a ton of heart. Personal stories for characters that you get invested in and in a world of, you know, gigantic cosmos ending, you know, cosmic-y, cosmic-y universe shattering stuff that's going on both before this and also during this with the multiverse exploding out all over this place the fact that this film is at its core the the story of a fractured family dealing with loss is a breath of fresh air and i did not expect it but I am so happy that we now have a film like Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. And I can't wait to see where he goes next, where this whole story goes next. Because The Legend of Shang-Chi is just getting started. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop and comiXology or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was tough. There were a couple books that I was kind of going back and forth on, but ultimately I chose Marvel's Dark Ages. Written by Tom Taylor with art by Ibon Quello. This was a great, great start to a multiversal um, Elseworlds story for the Marvel Universe that did not go how I thought it would, uh, which is classic Tom Taylor. People died, some catastrophic things happened, and now we have a new status quo going into the series. Uh, I'm not sure how long the series is, but all I know is I am here for the ride. But that's last week's books. Let's take a look back at this week's books. We've got 10 books, double digits once again. 10 books to check out. Let's go ahead and dive into it first off. The Prodigal Son, Blue and Gold number two. Oh, we meet again. Uh, Blue and Gold number two was supposed to come out, it feels like, years ago at this point. <laughs> the first the first book came out, I want to say, like a couple months ago. And it's been a little bit since this since we were supposed to get this uh, the second issue. But either way, I'm excited to see it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Who needs the Justice League anyway? Our heroes certainly don't. After a painful rejection from the DC Universe's team of A-list heroes, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle strike out on their own. Thanks to the court industry's fortune, anything is possible for this dynamic duo. Right? Little do they know, an alien assassin seeking revenge places Blue and Gold in her crosshairs, and the Omnizon never misses. So that's interesting. I forgot to mention, uh, written by Dan Jurgens, art by Ryan Sook. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this. It has been a bit of a delay, but I can't help but love these two knuckleheads. Next up, we have a double feature of Suicide Squad books. This is what happens when DC Comics messes with their solicitations. But first, we have Suicide Squad number seven. This is written by Robbie Thompson with art by Julio Ferreira and Eduardo Ponsica. And I've been actually really digging Suicide Squad, and I'm excited to see if they follow up on the cliffhanger from last issue, uh, throwing some... Uh, I would say throwing some doubt into the identity of this Superboy. We'll just have to see, though, the uh, other part of this Suicide Squad double feature might handle that. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Amanda Waller puts 
her newest recruit to Task Force X, the unstoppable and outstanding ambush bug. With a mission that literally takes the squad to hell and back, the sometimes fourth wall-breaking hero may be the team's only chance at survival. Embarking on a quest to gain access to the Rock of Eternity, the squad must also face the threat of Rick Flagg, who's on the hunt for Waller's head. I was wondering when Rick Flagg was going to show back up. I'm excited to see what he does, and I'm always down for more Ambush Bug. And the other half is Suicide Squad 2021 Annual Number 1. This is also written by Robbie Thompson with art by Dexter Soy. So uh, this cover seems to suggest that we are going to get answers for this Superboy mystery. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Everyone questioned how the teen calling himself Connor Kent came to be recruited into the Suicide Squad by Amanda Waller. But as Superboy sneaks into the bowels of a top-secret Task Force X black site, what he finds changes all he thinks he knows about himself and his history. This oversized annual alters everything for the only hero on the squad and makes him question what to do next now that he knows the truth behind his origins. So I'm kind of hoping that it's not just like some nameless, faceless Superboy. Um, I I don't know. I I know that it's probably the direction they're gonna go, but I'd rather it be like a reveal of like something than it just be like, oh, he's just a random Superboy clone. But. We'll see. Still very interested to see how they handle this reveal. Next up, we have Batman Catwoman number seven. This is written by Tom King with art by Liam Sharp. Liam Sharp stepping in to help out the boy Clay Man, who is cover, who is just doing uh, cover duties this time around. Uh, Batman Catwoman's been good. The art has been fantastic. The story is fine. Um, the three timelines deal can still be kind of confusing at times, but I'm starting, I'm following it. I'm following where they're going. We'll just have to see how it lands. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Bat and the Cat, Chapter 7. When Batman begins to doubt Catwoman's allegiance, it leads to trouble on the streets of Gotham. Who does Selina support? Joker? Phantasm, or the Dark Knight? Well, he'll soon find out that some questions are better left unasked. If he's going to test her loyalty, she's going to test his mettle. Thus, Bruce Wayne finds himself locked in a bank vault with the Gotham PD knocking on the door. So yeah, uh, that sounds dope. I am very interested to see what they do with this. Um, I like mysteries like this and i like this i i'm not sure where the book is going it's supposed to be this you know tom king's final uh word on the bat cat relationship but i don't know we'll see what happens here next up we have Another double feature, that being of the Green Lantern variety, first off with Green Lantern 2021 Annual Number 1. This is written by Ryan Cady with art by Sami Basri. And, uh, man, this is, uh, I, okay, so there are ideas that people have now and again about characters that you are surprised that they haven't tried before. And I've I've talked to people before who've been like, oh, man, you know, Jessica Cruz with her like her PTSD, her anxiety, like she's a prime candidate for the Sinestro Corps. And that always like made too much sense to me. I'm like, oh, I don't like that because it's like, yes, of course, it's a, it's you know, it's a whole power ring situation that got her into this in the first place. But seeing her in the yellow and black, I kind of dig it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Once an agoraphobic scared to even leave her room, Jessica Cruz overcame her fear to become a Green Lantern and face the darkest and deadliest threats in the universe. But now, Jessica's gone from overcoming fear to using it as a weapon. When Yellow Lanterns attacked the Green Lantern sector house she took refuge in when the central power battery was destroyed, Jessica turned the tables on them, giving them something to be afraid of, as she beat them one by one. But now that she's been offered a place in the Sinestro Corps, will she accept? 
I feel like we kind of already know, especially if you take into account the cover and the solicitation for the next piece of this, which is Green Lantern number six, written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. But uh, again, the Green Lantern book so far has been really strong. I've loved getting Joe Moline here. I think her along with Teen Lantern is a fun team up, but I'm waiting for them to push everything forward. A lot of it's been kind of recapping what's happened to people up to this point. So I'm hoping that we start to move forward instead of still looking back. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Far Sector's Joe Mullane goes head-to-head with one-time Green Lantern Sinestro, now the leader of the Sinestro Corps that harnesses the yellow light of fear. But as Joe deals with Sinestro, Simon Baz finds out his former partner, Jessica Cruz, just joined the Yellow Lanterns as the Corps' newest member. Then, in deep space, Kilowog, who's been cut off from the core, fights for his life in the dark sectors. But without a working ring, he may not stand much of a chance of survival. Yeah, that sounds dope. Um, I'm always here for more Kilowog. I'm hoping that they don't kill him, but you never know. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, this book's been good. I'm looking forward to getting more. Next up, we have Batman number 112. This is the beginning of Fear State, written by James Tynan IV and Brandon Thomas, with art by George Jimenez and Max Dunbar. Uh, this is uh, very interesting, and I'm excited for this backup, okay? I've, I've talked before about how, yeah, yeah, Ghostmaker backup's fine, but I'm not really interested in it. This backup, however, I'm very interested in, because it has some implications for the rest of the book. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fear State, Part 1, slash Clown Hunter, Part 1. A story over a year in the making and set into motion with Infinite Frontier number 0. Fear State begins. Batman played into the hands of the Scarecrow, who has unleashed a coordinated attack on Gotham City through his manipulation of Simon Saint and Peacekeeper 01. But there are other forces at work with the emergence of an anti-oracle, spreading fake news across all channels and inciting terror and violence on the streets of Gotham. Meanwhile, Clown Hunter has turned down help from Batman, Leslie Tompkins, the Red Hood, and everyone else who has offered it to him, thinking that he can handle being a vigilante on the streets of Gotham City by himself. But when he takes a shot at fighting the Scarecrow now, one-on-one, he'll learn very quickly how much in this city he's not ready for yet. Enter the new hero, Peacekeeper X. I still think Clown Hunter is going to be revealed as Red X. I know that it's seeming more unlikely as time goes on, but holding out hope, especially if he does become this Peacekeeper X, Peacekeeper X, Red X, you know, you know, you, you get it, you get it. But anyway, very excited to see what they do with this. Fear State has been a long time in the making. This is Tynan's grand opus for his Batman run, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Next up, I think appropriately for this week's episode, Shang-Chi number four. This is written by Jean Lun Yang with art by DK Ruan. I have been loving this book. This book has been wonderful getting Shang-Chi back more integrated into the uh, wider Marvel universe, and it's beyond time. And so I love how he's been interacting with different uh, members of that Marvel Universe. Last week we had Wolverine, we had Captain America, Spider-Man, the whole deal. And this week, it's about to get a lot more fantastic. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe, Part 4. Shang-Chi versus the Fantastic Four. Someone has been sending Shang-Chi strange messages in his dreams, and the messages seem to be coming from the negative zone. But who is sending him these messages, and what do they mean? And why are the Fantastic Four standing in his way? 
So yeah, I like this. I like how Shang-Chi's been building out his weapons society. He's got Brother Sword, Sister Dagger, Sister Staff is back on board. Um, this is one of my favorite books. I, I look forward to it every single month. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have The Conclusion, Infinite Frontier, number six of six, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Zermonico. Uh, this is going to propel us into the next stage, and this is what happens, once again, when DC messes with its release schedule, because you are correct, we got Infinite Frontier last week for uh, issue number five, and we're going to be concluding it this week. This is going to lead us into to the Justice League Incarnate book, I believe, dropping next month. But on the cover, we've got Calvin Ellis, Superman, battling against Naked Darkseid. I know in the most recent issue and last issue, they kind of tried to fix it by drawing on little, like, um, what is it, like little sleeve... Uh, lines to make it seem like his costume is just entirely monochrome. But look at this cover. All of the covers by Mitch Jarrods. He's naked. He's naked dark side. Just just own it. Just own naked dark side. You've you've made your bed now lay in it. But I am very excited to see this throwdown happen. I've also loved how much the JSA has been at the forefront of the story. Having most of the JSA, with the exception of my boy Jay Garrick, makes me mad, uh, all together again, and being the ones that take down the Justice League, or the Injustice League incarnate, I makes my heart sing. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. One story ends, and the next phase of the DC multiverse begins. We have one name for you. Darkseid. Our heroes knew that someone had been pulling the strings this entire time, but are they prepared for it to be the biggest bad of all? As President Superman, Alan Scott, Roy Harper, and the rest converge for a showdown, the secret of Omega Planet is revealed. Plus, Barry Allen is put on a path he may never get off. Uh, this feels, vi it feels big time. It feels like this is a very big deal happening on the outskirts of the wider DC multiverse, which I like. Uh, Barry Allen also might die here. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, they also in last issue teased that another crisis is incoming. And I feel like it's almost too soon for another crisis, but we'll just have to see. Looking forward to seeing how they wrap up the series of propel us into that Justice League Incarnate book. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Daredevil number 34, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Stefano Landini. Um, this is the penultimate issue. Uh, we have, I believe, just one more issue of this before we dive into Devil's Reign. Um we don't know what the Daredevil book is going to look like after this. Are we going to get Daredevils, plural? Are we going to get something else? Hopefully we'll get more answers as time goes on, but I'm still very much looking forward to seeing how this wraps up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Lockdown, part four. Lockdown continues as Bullseye reigns over NYC. The penultimate chapter of Lockdown brings twists, turns, bodies, and unexpected allies. You're not going to want to miss the next installment of this Eisner-nominated epic. Yeah, so this is the penultimate issue. This is the penultimate chapter of this arc. Lockdown has been fantastic. I love any time that Bullseye and Daredevil go up against each other. Uh, this... And I love this cover, man. This cover rules. The stained glass, uh, having the different uh, players in this book, each in a different panel. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Um, so yeah, that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Blue and Gold number two, Suicide Squad number seven, Suicide Squad 2021 annual, Batman Catwoman number seven, Green Lantern 2021 annual, Green Lantern number six, Batman number 112, Shang-Chi number four, Infinite Frontier number six and Daredevil number 34. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really do help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcast algorithm space, kind of raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review 
on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can join the likes of our Almost Dirty Dozen, that being Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, and A-Lock and A-Z. I want to say a big thank you to all these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want uh, further info on something we've covered on the podcast, maybe a quick pitch, or even some recommendations for something we haven't covered on the podcast yet, feel free to email me at or send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Uh, just put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the podcast and answer any questions you may have. This week, we've got an email from good brother in front of the podcast, the real deal himself, Brian Real. Uh, he writes, Hi, Eric. Hello. Hope you are doing well. Before my question, just a reminder that I've really been enjoying the show and love tuning in each week to listen. Thank you. Uh, he writes, This week, I wanted to ask if you have seen the TV show War. I know that, like me, you've also really been enjoying The Good Asian. For me, Warrior serves as a great spiritual prequel to The Good Asian since it takes place in San Francisco leading up to the Chinese Exclusion Act. It is based on an unmade concept from Bruce Lee and produced by his daughter, Shannon. As a history fan, it's been a lot of fun to both watch this show and read the comic about these events. The best way to describe it is as a martial arts slash western. It's incredible. Along with being an amazing story based on this specific point in history that really resonates with issues still ongoing today, it has some of the absolute sickest fights I think I've ever seen on TV. Andrew Koji, Storm Shadow in the new Snake Eyes film, and Joe Toslim, Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat 2021, kick the most ass and have the best scenes. It's currently streaming on HBO Max with a third season, third season, on the way too. If you've seen it, what are your thoughts on the show and its relation to the good Asian? If not, what are you doing? Get watching. As always, take care and remember that Scott Summers is the best. Yes, agreed. All the time, Scott Summers is the best. Thank you, Brian, for your email. Always great to hear from you. I have watched Warrior. It is just as great as Brian has uh, very well articulated uh as he's written here, it's a fantastic show. If you haven't watched it yet and you do have HBO Max, go watch it. I didn't realize the second season was out. So yes, I am going to go watch season two. I'm probably going to go watch it as soon as I wrap up, uh, as soon as I wrap up recording here. Cause the first season was incredible. Um, you should go check it out. And, also, I never made the connection between that and The Good Asian. Um, that's a great shout, and I would be interested to see how I feel about watching the show now that I have been reading The Good Asian. Also, go check out The Good Asian. All the Asian media you can find. We have an Asian superhero film. We have an Asian detective noir comic. And now we have an Asian kung fu western that's also historical fiction on TV. You are in a great space if you are enjoying Asian media. So go check that out. I am going to go check out season two. Brian, thank you so much for your email. Always great to hear from you, brother. If you want to uh, follow us, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or if you just want to shoot the shit on the latest geeky news with me, uh, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's at P-O-D. And I want to give a quick shout to two listeners to this podcast who reached out to me on Twitter. Cole from the Critical Rants YouTube channel. Go check him out. He is doing amazing work on his youtube channel just ridiculously good like the uh the comic tube video essay game is a very tough scene to break into and cole has been doing it with flying colors uh he gave us some really great feedback on our uh on our captain boomerang pitch it boomer's big score so i want to say a big thank you to him and also to ryan vandervelden who reached out to me on twitter as well uh just to give some kind words about the uh about the episode I put a lot of time into it. I put a lot of effort. Um, and so I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me. It means the world. So thank you very much. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let me know if you have seen uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I would love to have that conversation of, with you. What did you think? Is it a top five 
MCU film for you like it is for me? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Uh, Feel free to reach out, whether it's through email, through social media. I'd love to have that conversation with you. But that is going to do it. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geeksplain podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.